Hello there. You are listening to At The Well, the bi-monthly Bible podcast that helps you see yourself in the stories of scripture. I'm Jarrell. I'm Charles. And I'm Eli. And we're delighted that you're joining us for this week's discussion. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? I think we need to start by saying, how are you doing? How is Sandy doing? Because since we last recorded, there's been an update. (gasps) There's been a life change. There's been a life. (laughs) You know, Charles, I'm glad you brought it up. I, uh, it was better that we launch into it. So, you know, we're in a pretty specific season of life, uh, going into at the end of our last episode. Right. And one that's incredibly joyful, but can also be very stressful. And, but at the end of the day, just so life giving and life affirming. And, you know, it was touch and go there. And, you know, I had my moments of anxiety and nerves, but I'm happy to say the first time on this podcast, the Golden State Warriors beat the Sacramento Kings in the first round of the NBA playoffs. My dad, Stephen Curry, excuse me, Eli, my dad, Wardell Stephen Curry, Uh dropped 50 points in a game seven. The Warriors play game one against the Lakers tonight. We all knew this was coming. We all knew that it was going to be a thing. It was a foregone conclusion the Warriors would win. But, you know, we had, we were nervous. It's a big thing. The life of your favorite team, can the playoff life of your favorite team continuing on to another round. But we made it. We're here. Yeah, Charles, thank you so much for asking. Uh, Anything it's, it's, else? It's You clown. Oh, oh, yeah. I am currently holding my two-and-a-half-week-old daughter, uh, Miss, <laughs> Miss Amelia Rose Merrill, who's watched a lot of NBA playoff basketball with me. Um, but she is currently sitting in my lap. She arrived three weeks earlier than we expected. So the last two-and-a-half weeks have been a whirlwind, but much like the Warriors' playoff run of very thing. And... and she is the absolute cutest, and Sandy and I are very lucky, and I'm very proud to be her dad. I hope she calls Steph Curry her granddad. <laughs> I told her. I, I when they when he clinched Game Seven, I came home and said, "I want you to look at this. Your <laughs> grandfather is a great man. Never forget it." <laughs> Got it. No, she's good. Got to start him young. Got to start him young. She's good. She is sleeping right now. Um, we'll see if that continues. She's been a little congested today, so she has, she'll probably stay asleep because she's just been super cuddly. So you can just hang out with us and uh, make your podcast debut, little one. Woo-hoo. But she's good. Sandy is good. Um, both healthy. Uh, and it's been, yeah, really fun. Just kind of, even in the past two weeks and change, she feels like she's so much bigger. And it's been cool like seeing her be more aware of things around her and just get used to to things and yeah we're we're really happy so are we so are we oh you're both girl dads i celebrate i I know you and i celebrate you it's so cute let's go matching best life matching girl it's the best life (laughs) (laughs) it's a a good time yeah i was uh i was teaching Aaliyah how to dribble today and do oh, we went through which yes. she already knew how to dribble but today we had a little bit of a basketball lesson in my house we taught josiah with an appropriate size basketball and i taught Aaliyah the three passes overhead chest and bounce and she oh, got it down get out 
Mm-hmm. I'm so happy right now. Right. <laughs> I think you're certainly going to be tall. So use it. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's going to be tall. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> Today, Aaliyah, we're gonna learn about the finer points of a drop step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let's learn some post moves, Aaliyah. You're two and you a half. Heard of and the you can't even shake. coordinate walking down the sidewalk, but <laughs> <laughs> nah, she's gonna be great. She's gonna be a beast. You're raising her right, Charles. Yeah. Well, she's okay. She's actually three and three quarters. She's about. To, she's about, about three. four. You've been a dad for four years. That's wild. Yeah. I thought about that the other day. I was like, I think I was. I brought her up at work, and I was like. Oh my god, daughter, she's three. Oh, she's gonna be four in like a few months. Yeah, that's wild. Well, speaking of basketball, our uh, question of the week is one that maybe you saw coming, maybe you didn't. What Eli definitely saw it coming. <laughs> so we oh we've had a, a tendency to make sports picks on this pod. Now our NCAA tournament picks did not pan out. Not at all. I think. My my pick had been eliminated before we recorded. At a backup that was also immediately eliminated. Uh, Charles, I can't remember who you picked. Someone that got eliminated like within two days of us recording that. <laughs> and say and Eli went with Alabama, number one seed. Way to way to step out on a limb, but it, that that didn't work out either. So the NCAA tournament has not uh, been good to us, but we. We're now, now again, as I said, in the second round of the NBA playoffs. And yours truly called the NBA champion 10 months ahead of the, ahead of time last year. You're I'm dead. looking to repeat. I'll take the suspense out of it. I'm picking the Warriors in six. I think they will win the West. They will play the Philadelphia 76ers in the finals. And they will win in six games. Charles, who do you have? Yeah, I'm looking right now. I'm not following all that much. Oh, Charles. So... I know uh, Butler's hurt. He is. He's out tonight. I didn't know that until like before, like right before we started recording. And I don't think the Lakers have it in them. I, I, mean, I don't think not, they do. They're not going to beat the Warriors. So not going to be the Warriors. Not my dog. Um, I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go 76ers. Okay. I'm going to go 76ers. Who, who do you have coming out of the West? Uh, out of the West, I, I mean the Warriors. Okay, so we got the same finals, just different results. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I respect it. I respect it. Eli, I know you've been uh, dying away in on this. Get, get get out of here. I'm not. I'm not doing this bit. I am more of a college ball guy. We'll say that. He's more a Crimson Tide guy. I see. Yeah, he's <laughs> a Crimson Tide fan yeah. for no reason at all. Yeah. You did have a. You did like go to Alabama for a work thing a while. I did. I did. That I explains did. it. I have personal ties to Alabama now. So <laughs> <laughs> a work trip, personal ties, <laughs> basically family. <laughs> Maybe we should we should talk about separating work and and personal life yeah. there a little bit. Eli. Sounds work slow and unbalanced. So we we are in episode two of our current season called Letters, where we are taking, dragging as much as we can from a single tweet from a man that none of us know, though none of us are on Twitter, about what a letter written to the church in America today by Paul, the Apostle Paul, would sound like what it would include. And to do that... We are looking through the letters of Paul, reading them in full, and then highlighting verses that jumped out to us about how we think his words then are relevant to the church in America and are the Western church um, now. And so we did 
first Corinthians in our last episode is a lot of fun. So we are diving in today into second Corinthians. And as always, um, instead of our normal setting the scenes, we are reading verbatim from the Bible project, uh, resources. So if you've not heard of the Bible project or have never utilized them, uh, just Google them, go to their website. It is an incredibly insightful and informative, um, resource about scripture that provides a lot of very helpful context for when books are written in the context around them. And so we're using the work that the great people at the Bible project have done to kind of frame our understanding of the times in which these letters are written so that we can better translate them to what it could mean for us in 2023. Um, so this is Greg from the Bible podcast on second Corinthians. I'll read through um the summary that's written there and then we'll dive into the things that stuck out to us the most after a painful visit paul writes the corinthians a second letter paul opens his letter with a message of forgiveness for the church at corinth making clear his commitment to them and building on his message of unity through the gospel from his first letter paul continues to address some of the church's challenges from the first letter and encourages them to embrace the humble life of jesus the paradox of the cross that requires humility and servanthood instead of wealth and status. Paul's message to the Corinthians encourages them to live in a new way, embracing the cruciform life of Jesus. Through the cross and resurrection, Jesus' followers can live differently and model generosity, as well as humility and weakness. Second Corinthians is a letter about living in a totally countercultural way as we seek to live like Jesus did. So that is the backdrop for this now second letter to the Corinthians. Let's get into it. Sure. Um, so I have a, a, a few points, but I'll, I'll start with um, just the opening of this one. Um, as Paul is naming out God as the God of all comfort, uh, specifically in verse 3, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. I read that because it's important in this day and age when there are so many uh, false gods and false prophets just abounding on social media, um, to speak the name of Jesus specifically. Um, I've been just sort of on on YouTube more and listening to a lot more sermons and listening to a lot more preachers online and getting me and listening to these sound bites and people say the word God, the title, the position, the role God a lot. But when you don't name him as like name Jesus specifically, it, the word God can become a little trite. Um, it can become overused into the point where you don't always know what someone's talking about. And you can say God and, and even politicians, particularly as we approach 2024 election time, like, and you see people trying to put their, their, their stake in the fire, as it were. Um, Jesus's name is just not being proclaimed as, as powerfully and as mightily and as boldly as it could be. And so my, my, I think if the churches in America were getting letters, um, one of the first things that Paul would would say is that like one speak the name of christ not don't just say don't stop at god but speak the name of christ uh politicians are not preachers um and do not put the gospel message not leave it merely in their hands as if 
uh, stewarding the gospel and being ministers of reconciliation is somehow their responsibility. Speak the name of Christ. That's a really good word, Eli. And uh, I, there's one um, part in chapter 11 that stood out to me that relates to that, where Paul is basically saying, uh, the, the serpent deceived Eve. This is verse three. Um, and then in verse four, he says, where someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you submit to it readily enough. Just talking about being deceived. Um, and, and, and your point is really well taken about, yeah, God can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And there is no other way. Um, and what we have is a lot of watered down gospel at, you know, at best, if, if there's a best case scenario and sometimes just like false gospel at worst. Uh, and, and maybe these people are doing their best or trying to make it universal, but it's Jesus. It's who is God. Um, and just being aware, I think Paul is writing to the Corinthians in the midst of a lot of people who were a having people pay them to gain access to the gospel, um, uh, which is not the gospel, but also just straight up falsities and just being aware of that. Like there's a lot of watered gospel down there. There's a lot of people speaking God, not Jesus or speaking a Jesus that's not the one that's in the Bible that lived, you know, a little over 2000 years ago. Uh, so just being alert, I think as well to that, to that fact, like it seems like you yourself are becoming aware through these things you're watching, but also I think for us to recognize that these sound bites, these social media pastors or preachers or influencers may be, not preaching the Jesus of the Bible, um, may not be preaching the God um, who the, created the universe and and things like that. So, uh, yeah, just a really well taken point. So to that point, I, I I'll get into mine in a little bit, but I kind of want to stay here because I think you guys have touched on something really important. If the ideas you have, if we're saying that there's a like, Gil, I love your point of preaching Jesus specifically and not kind of hiding behind nebulous, oh, it's God. Because that's something we've talked about here as well. It's, like, it's really easy to co-opt and kind of use for um, ulterior means as a general idea of just God. But saying Jesus specifically and believing the power that comes with who Jesus is and in the name of Jesus. And you guys are saying, well, that's sometimes it's, it, that doesn't happen. So I guess what are some inaccurate like versions of jesus that you like see preached maybe from the pulpit or maybe from people on like christian influencers on social media who maybe mean well but are instead of getting into this is the heart of who jesus actually was it's kind of caught up in maybe a personal uh misunderstanding or just uh i don't know if bias is the right word i guess what are some versions of jesus that you have seen I think particularly in um, in America, where there is so much prosperity, and where prosperity is oftentimes a false is a false god that a lot of people serve and tie in with the scriptures. Um, you can have a lot of false. I mean, we've, 
I don't I don't know if we've talked about it, um, but everybody knows who Joel Osteen is. Um, you know who T.D. Jakes is. Um, you know who your Mike Todd's are. Mike Todd is I recently this is a few months ago at this point now, but I recently and I heard about this when it happened, but I didn't see the video. But he like he spit in his hand, like hopped loogies in his hand and then wiped it on this man's face because he was hoping to heal him. And so there's this combination of prosperity gospel also linked with like trying to force a sign and expecting God to work on your terms all of the time that is coming up a lot in social media um, that I see a lot of, like as if God is just, just can't wait to give you whatever you're asking for at any and every moment in a day. And like, like praise be to God, Jesus, while he was here on earth came to serve, but like he came to serve so that we could take our cues from him, not the other way around. Like, we are the servants. He appeared and took the form of a servant so that we could learn what service to God actually means and looks like as, as those who are God's image bearers and as those who take our cues from God, uh, the Father of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And so um, that is a lot of what I'm seeing on, on social media, but I'm also like, I'm seeing a lot of the church sort of eat itself, which is like, different pastors so three things prosperity demanding signs from the lord and sort of this like church cannibalizing where the only thing people are really trying to do is identify which christians don't belong to the church like that's their job there that is that is their thing that's their niche on social media as like okay cool but preach the gospel Right. So much of Second Corinthians and First Corinthians, well, since we're dealing with Second Corinthians, um, like when you read through chapters two, three and four, Paul is going in with the gospel message about this new identity that you read about before, Jarrell, about uh, what it means uh, to, to, to be forgiven and to function in light of the forgiveness that you've been offered to be ministers of the new covenant. He himself, along with the other apostles, was, was a minister of the new covenant. But he's saying that that that, that should also be the fuel for how you all live life together in Corinth, right? This new way of life that they're called to live. And then ultimately like focusing on the, 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 the light of the gospel uh, saying in chapter four, verse mm, six, uh, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ alone. And so like by knowing the gospel, and by knowing the identity of Christ, his mission here on earth, and the fact that he succeeded, like, by knowing the full gospel picture, that influences, teaches, and instructs you on what it means to live a life the way God intended and designed us to. But, like, so much, and, and not enough people hear the gospel message. It's just like, oh, well, let's just, let's just eat each other. Let's just, let's just try and divide up who is and who is not, and where they are in terms of their maturity or in their, in their salvation. And there's a, yeah. There's some maturity issues in, in 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 the church in churches in America, and oftentimes it, you find that the loudest preachers tend to be those who are uh, most easily swayed by public um, opinion by the by the court of public opinion. But I I just think the gospel and the full gospel of love of being loved by God and loving Him in return, and that love being rooted in obedience to Him. 
need to be preached far more ferociously and zealously than they are currently. It sounds like you're uh, part of his warning against uh, tribalism, which like it was even within the church, which if outside of um, outside of church backgrounds, I think people who consider themselves like church folk would decry that in the way that people view politics, the way that they view like issues of like social justice or things like that. But when it, within the church, it becomes kind of a you're not. Yeah, because sometimes because of those other things becomes you're not the like the type of Christian that I'm most comfortable with. There's a there's a fine line between calling out something that is antithetical to the gospel and false prophets and having a difference of opinion with someone. Yep. And that difference of opinion, strongly held as it may be, um, does not give you does not put you with the right hand of God to like cast judgment. And I, and I say that as someone who has very strong opinions about things um, pertaining particularly to uh, racial reconciliation and social justice and like have sometimes been out of pocket in the way that I've like, um, I handled those disagreements with people. And just because, and, and believe that it's rooted in the heart of who God is, but part of unity doesn't mean sweeping those differences under the rug. Doesn't mean pretending that if someone's out of line, they're not. But it is praying for and modeling the spiritual maturity to have those conversations in light of who God is, not just this is something. Even if like the core of it is something that is true to who God is, is not just me being like, well, I'm on one today, so I'm gonna like go at you. Um, yeah, I answer very good point. Like Charles, I cut you off there. No, I was just to like cap off this part of the conversation. Uh, Paul's Paul ends this letter in a very unifying way. Um, he says, put things in order, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And I think, uh, I don't think he's saying disregard all differences, but I think what he's saying is find a way to commit to the common the true and full gospel not as you were saying Jarrell, not not like completely disregarding never mentioning differences is important to have that discussion but you know you look at the church and you go a lot of these differences though important don't dilute the gospel they actually have nothing to do they have with the principle of the gospel they have a lot to do with the practical application of how a church denomination or how whatever you apply that and your understanding of that it has nothing to do with the full truth of the gospel. And Paul is encouragement here is put things in order, which we could probably have three episodes on what that actually means, but uh, probably candid conversations and love and, and truth and ending it peaceably with still love in the heart for the brother or sister, but then live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Um, so that was just something that struck me even um, that I think gets to what we're going at too. Um, and I was going to say to answer your question, Jarrell, I think uh, nothing, spe- I didn't want to say anything specific, but I think there's a lot of people out there who are preaching feelings over truth or feelings that cover truth uh and 
feelings aren't truth. Feelings aren't objective. Uh, and feelings can lead us down a path that is very slippery. Um, I'm uncomfortable, so this can't be right. Uh, I don't, I don't want to go against the grain. I, this, you know, there's, there's a lot of that that I think can lead to a slippery path. And the other thing I was thinking about is that there, even in what a lot of people say, and I've caught this sometimes where like there are elements of truth, but they're laced with poison in our culture, in the milieu and the environment that we live. There's a lot of elements of truth that people may say that we will see that we read, but it's laced with poison. And we have to be careful how much poison we're ingesting um, and how that's impacting and perverting the truth. And so being able to recognize that what's, what's the truth here, but also what what's maybe is not true. What actually is actually a, dis, uh, a distortion of the gospel within the message that they're portraying. I want to piggyback off of that into something Charles, I love what you said about like this reliance on feelings in order to uh, grow in our understanding of like, uh, in order to like interpret truth, right? Because as you said, it's very slippery slope. Our feelings change and shift, not just day to day, but moment to moment. And so uh, if you allow uh, your perception of what's happening uh, to govern your understanding of what's happening, then you can easily easily be whisked we can easily be whisked away into something that is just just doesn't align with the truth of who god is and what he's working in our lives um and that reminds me of when there's i keep focusing on chapter one because it's it's really rich i promise i read all of this all 13 chapters but but like when it comes to god being a god of comfort um like for for as we share abundantly in christ's sufferings so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort, too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. This, this first paragraph on God being a comforter and God allowing his people to endure uh, affliction, particularly as they endure affliction and persecution by like via the spreading of the gospel, right? As they uh, endure resistance uh, and and have to uh, put up with not being received well um, because of the name of Christ. Um, I think that speaks to um, a broader understanding of how we deal with suffering and affliction in general in this country, particularly in younger generations. Um, there is this really uh, wild um, reality that's being shaped in a lot of people's minds where they are now just kind of known by their afflictions. There, there's this identity that's like, I'm, uh, you know, I, I have this diagnosis, I have that diagnosis. This is who I am, and like, no, that's what you're going through, and that shapes your life and your experience, and all of that is valid. Like that is true, but that is not who you are. That is not your identity. Your identity is not your sickness, and God did not make you. Um, in this broken and fallen way so that one, you could remain that way or two, that you could not be comforted and allowed to endure through that. There's this, there's this reality that, let me read the verse specifically. Verse four, um, 
the Father, the God of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction, right? And so when we when we the perspective, a biblical perspective, and a God-centered perspective on uh, the experience of persecution, the experience of affliction, the experience of uh, having an adversarial condition or experience um, in life, when you think about it from God's perspective, is not to be the end of you. It is so that you may walk in that situation with a heart that is prepared to also be a comfort to other people because God is seeking to comfort you in your in your and when you are downtrodden, when you are melancholy, when you are sad, when you when you are depressed, when when you feel alone. Like God through his church means to be a means of comfort to you. And I and I think when you when you look at adversity life through the lens of I have expectant faith that God will reach me in some way in this that I am not as isolated as I think I am, then when God answers that prayer, when he responds as he sees fit, you can also carry a testimony that says, I was met by the Lord in this in an unexpected way, and it may not have perfectly relieved me of it or done a 180 in my circumstances, but I was given the ability to endure through pain. I was given the ability to... Um, make it through affliction. I was given the ability to persevere through persecution. And I can offer that story and that narrative of hope to someone else. I love that, Eli. And that's actually ties really well with the thing that I wanted to focus on in this letter, which is um, uh, chapter two, verses 14 and 15. But really this, this idea of point being able to point people back to the gospel back to jesus because of our experience because of our relationship because we're able to identify where the lord has met us both in affliction in adversarial times but also just in in so so times in great times um that verse those two verses read but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, whether it's this life or the next, God leads us to triumphal procession and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. As is struck that there's something about being in relationship with Jesus, with God, the father through the Holy spirit, we are a difference maker. You know, a fragrance, an aroma is a difference maker, and it can be either good or bad. But when we were connected to the vine, when we're able to go through affliction and be like, the Lord met me in this time, then when other people are going through that time, we are aroma to them to say and pointing them to the good, uh, being a witness and testimony, being able to share that. Um, and it just pointed to me, or to me, it just, pointed out that there's there's impact that we have simply by being connected to the lord and that we it doesn't say sometimes it says we are we are the aroma of christ to both those who are being saved and those being perishing and maybe those are perishing our aroma might not smell that great because we're actually 
we're, we're, we're actually pointing them to something that they can't stand. That's grading them. It's trying to cut away something from life. But the, Paul is saying like, you, you're an aroma, we're an aroma. And there's, um, there's an impact that we have for better or for worse. It's, it's, uh, eye-opening i i can't even imagine what you were talking about eli if there's like people online who take it upon themselves to like filter out true christians like that's an aroma of a christian and it's not a pleasant one that's not a good that's not a good testimony to what a christian should be you know so i don't know it's just striking to me that we i think we you know we know that we're supposed to be witnesses we know we're supposed to be uh on mission the great commission testifying to the truth to life to jesus but the fact that you know we could just through our example just through by being connected to the lord or apathetic that we have a we have an impact that was my striking striking point i love all those points this uh going back to the idea of you are not your affliction, but affliction in times of trial kind of are moments and opportunities where we are comforted by God in a way that only God can comfort. Also, and that was kinda, really good. The they, fact I was just just commenting that that point that Eli made about our identity is not the affliction, the disease, the thing we're mm-hmm. going through, because I, yeah, I think that's rampant. Like, that's yeah. who I am. It's like, nope it's not and it's and i think it's 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 tough because it is it's a very real uh thing there's a good um there's a church politics podcast um does an episode on this specifically but they discuss this idea of celebrating things like affliction or like mental illness in a way that like doesn't actually like from a clinical psychology standpoint is unhelpful but also uh misaligns people from like yeah how to approach those things appropriately. And I think to kind of, of God being the God of comfort, the point it kind of gets to of is, you know, it's God in those moments is willing and does meet us where we are. Like I can look back on particularly uh, dark, dark moments in my own life and say that, you know, I, th- there'd be things that I wouldn't want to go through again, but they were things that coming out of them, I had more confidence in who God was because of them. And God being a God of comfort is a part of that. It's um, seeing the same way that like, if you go through a really challenging thing with a good friend, like that's, that's my, that's like, like you guys are like my ride or die. Cause you've seen me through a lot of different things. And I think God wants to be the same thing for us. Um, and Charles, your point, actually, I, that I almost use that verse as my point. Um, and then there's something I saw later that um, I'm going to get to, but it connects to that. So this idea of being the aroma of Christ and like kind of what you got to at the end, especially of like, you know, God, Jesus cares about impact. Um, he cares about the impact that we have on other people, positive or negative. And to the end of it, you're kind of saying like, you know, essentially we could take it upon ourselves of like, is what, is, what is our, what is our aroma? Right. Are we, going about things in a way that is winning and actually um preaches the message of who jesus is or are we going about things in a way that like misses jesus and because of that is foul like in in uh first corinthians the verse i talked about was paul saying i 
being I'm all things to all men, so that by all means I might save some. And this idea of being winning to people because that's who Jesus is. The Rome of Christ is pleasant and sweet. And Paul, recognizing that, humbles himself and puts himself in the place of the people that he's trying to reach uh, uh, because of who Jesus is. And the verse from uh, 2 Corinthians that stuck out to me was similar to that and has to do with aroma and how it is we present ourselves. Um, so it's from 2 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. Um, so Paul says, not, not that we are sufficient ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit? For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. And so drawing these um, parallels between the law from the time of Moses to Jesus bringing a more full and perfect, um, at, like through his body, like restoration of that. And that first part of like the law, like the letter kills, but the spirit gives life is what stuck out to me. Because I think that sometimes in, and I've seen, like I, I was on a college campus for four years. I saw a fair share of, like turn or burn pastors who like stood at street corners and just yelled at people. Um, it's like, Oh, you're going to hell for all of these things. And God is mad at you for all of these things. And you need to change in this, this, that, and the other way. Um, and our, I've argued with a, a fair share of them. Um, and I think the simplicity of that verse, the letter, but the spirit gives life that the letter of the law is intended to show us that what we what we are without Jesus, the gap, the, the gulf that exists between us and God without Christ. But the who Jesus is is meant to show us, but he chose to bridge that gap. Like the good news is that he came and lived the law perfectly so that we could have unity with God. And so often what I think gets missed with those passages, or just like people who... um try to speak into the lives of people who don't who aren't christian and don't claim to follow jesus as they miss that the point of it is relationship the point of it is being in relationship with jesus and by being in relationship with jesus being in relationship with god charles to your point of like jesus is the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through him and that is through relationship that's believing that jesus is who he said he was and that he died for who he knows you to be and i think what gets missed sometimes is there's a people's perception of church is that it's a laundry list of you got to do this. You got to do this, that, and the third. You have to be all of these things. You need to do this perfectly because you have to, or or because you'll be punished for it. And what's missed in that is the relationship by which those things become life-giving and frankly, by which those things make a lot more sense. Like if Ch Charles, what's Chelsea's favorite flower? Not to put you on the spot. Does she have a favorite like kind of flower? Uh, tulip, I believe. Tulip. If you had, if you one day said to me, Jarrell, you really should like consider buying tulips for Chelsea. They're her favorite flower. I'd go, I'd be like, I, that's great, Charles. I, I feel like you should maybe stop by a florist on the way home because I'm not married to Chelsea, right? Like, 
because of your relationship with her, you do the things that you know make her happy. It's like if like Sandy said, flowers are peonies. I wouldn't go, Eli, you should really pick up some peonies for Sandy because I'm her husband. Like I have the relationship by which that context actually makes sense. And I think what gets missed so often with like church folk is like for people that they know don't follow Jesus or haven't been to church in a long time for various reasons, they lead with you got to do these things. And the the rational answer to that is why? Like what? Why would I do that? And I was like, well, because you, you have to. Why do I have to? Well, it says here, like in the Bible, you have to. It's like, well, if I'm not a Christian, why should I do that? And I think that we we miss that. And instead of leading with, I like I leading with like I'm a Christian because Jesus has proven to be the realest, truest thing in my life, in good times and in bad, and because I believe him to be someone who's trustworthy and faithful and good. He's the closest friend I have. And because he's the closest friend I have, I try to live my life in a way that models the fact that I trust him. I try to live my life in a way that is consistent with his, like, his advice for how uh, to live as someone who lived life perfectly. And that's why I make the decisions that I make. I can't expect you to make those kinds of decisions if that relationship isn't there. If I do that, I'm just coming at you with the letter and the letter kills. And I think unintentionally or so, unfortunately, sometimes because people are puffed up in pride, they're they're fine with going at, here's the letter of the law, even if it kills because it's, to the point I made last week, it puts them in higher regard of, let me tell you how you should live your life. But if the relationship is, is there, it doesn't make any sense. And so I think there needs to be a reworking of our minds. It says, why is Jesus worth following? Why is he worth knowing? Like, if I'm going to make all these changes in my life and say no to things that I want and say yes to things that are challenging and uh, keeping myself this way, I was like, why, why is he worth it? him specifically? And unless we can answer that question for ourselves, I think that we need to tread lightly in what it is we tell other people you have to do this because why would they like our roman needs to be accurate but sweet if that's the kind of pitch that we're making and if we're disciples that's a pitch that our lives should be making and not only is it about the relationship a person does or doesn't have with with jesus with god what kind of relationship do they have with other christians right turn and burn preachers like that's there's a relationship there and that relationship that aroma sours someone's perspective of who god is because first of all it's just wrong second of all that's not how jesus did ministry um and and third of all like who wants to be talked at like that you know or who wants to be judged like that, even within church, even with the body of Christ? So I think there's something to say even, I mean, the importance of the relationship with, with God, with Jesus, absolutely. But what is the what is the relationship of that person with other Christians? Um, and and what does that say to them about who God is and who they are? Because the Roma might say, you are a sinner and you deserve to die. The Roma might say, I love you as a friend. We have a difference of opinion, but I love you as a person because you are a son or daughter of God. You might not identify yourself as that, but I recognize that and I'm going to love you. 
in the reflection of Jesus, I'm going to love you to death and back to life again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, it's exactly that. It's the relationship with Jesus by which any of this makes any sense, but also like stewarding the relationships we have because of that aroma. And it's like, bro, like you, if it's, if you're talking to someone and they're like, nah, you kind of stink. Like that's on that's on us sometimes. And sometimes it's, it's, it's unintentional and it comes from the misunderstandings. But if you're not, if you're not even trying, if you're coming at people with, this is just right. So here it is. And you need to comply, but you, you're not winning. Then do you even care about the message? Right? Like I, I teach science all day, even though I know what I'm talking about is accurate. If I went up there and delivered it in a way that was really boring and uninspired and then said to my kids, but you got to know it. All right. They might try, but they're not going to enjoy my class. They're not going to get anything out of it. And I think like as people who carry such an important uh, message and such an important relationship, we have to take it upon ourselves of like, am I talking and delivering it in a way that speaks to that? Or am I just mailing it in and just telling people to comply? Because that, that feeds very like Pharisaic pride. It doesn't really get to like, this is why you should kick it with Jesus. Any final words before we close out here? I think as my, my final thought is, I think as I've as we've taken the opportunity to reread these two letters, in rereading these things, I've realized that in spurring Christian like established Christians on, because that's what these two letters are written to. They're written to established believers, um, a community, to uh, a community. Um, it's going to it involves both discipline and encouragement um there are times where we stray and where we choose for the sin that we've been called away from where we are living in line with our wayward affections but there are also times in in which we need to be loved into submission to god and um there is an affection that he calls those particularly who are in leadership in the church to um invest in those who are a part of his flock and so discipline and encouragement uh, and sussing those two things out is really is is complicated and and requires uh, dedication and parsing out. But um, discipline is a sign of that your heavenly father loves you and encouragement is will be the sweet aroma that um, will continue to be the reason that you cling to Jesus, because uh, ultimately it is out of love that God has offered his son to the world to save us all. And uh, our discipleship is our choosing to love him back. And so for any listener who is uh, considering Christ or for any listener who is spreading the gospel and uh, working to get people to consider Christ, um, my encouragement to you is to, wherever you are in preaching the gospel, uh, keep in line with the fact that uh, God loved us and loves us from death back to life. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm already and, really excited to see what Galatians has for us. That's the next one, right? Yeah, it's the next one. Got it. Nailed it. Should, I shouldn't have. Uh, you're looking like a fraud on the podcast, Drill. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks so much for listening. You can check us out at at the well. It's at podbean.com. We upload new episodes every other Monday on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook by searching through guys at the well. 
And if you want even more content that would like to help this podcast grow, consider becoming a patron and head over to patreon.com forward slash at the well for exciting new bonus content. Like something I pitched in a text, but I'm going to say it here because we're going to do it. I don't have a name for the segment, but we're going to look at biblical characters from context, kind of suss out what their personalities were like. What would they be like? Here's a teaser for you. Apostle Paul, greatest missionary of all time. I think probably a pretty terrible hang. More of that and more. We'll talk to you soon here at the well.